0: So grateful, so thankful to join together in the love as the love to allow love to lead and lift us. So grateful and so thankful to consciously accept and allow our healing as we partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self where Tapping into the awareness that we live and move and have our being in the perfect love of God as the perfect love of God. We're grateful to come together for the purpose of relinquishing all false beliefs, all false identification, everything that is untrue falls away. We are grateful and thankful to let ourselves experience profound healing and awakening. We are grateful. In gratitude, we share the benefits with everyone in gratitude. We let the healing be, we know it's done. And so it is. Amen. 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 So, who has uh, an uh, a, 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 a eulogy left to read? I thought we had a couple left to read.
1: Lana? I just had my first one to read but um, that was the only one I had left. I don't remember who else had had one left.
0: Okay. All right. Would you like to do it now?
1: Uh, Whenever you would like me to. Yes. Okay. Uh, This one is a short one. It it said, uh, Lana's greatest gift was her mothering nature. You knew you were loved and deeply cared for. She also was a lifetime learner and a teacher. She loved to share what she was learning. It gave her great joy if she could connect deeply with others at this level. She didn't have to be the center of attention. She preferred to be in the background, supporting and assisting others to shine and be and do their best. She was loyal, trustworthy, and very dependable, someone you wanted to have on your team. She was so grateful to make great strides through her spiritual practice and becoming unbotherable and letting go of judgments she learned to see the perfection and innocence in others and showed greater compassion understanding and forgiveness toward all life she would say this was her greatest achievement she was dearly loved and she will be missed especially by her family and friends that sounds
0: like the Lana I know (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah it's beautiful
0: how, and how does it feel to read that Lana
1: um, it felt good because at the beginning I struggled I would just like uh, write a, f- a few lines here and there and I would think you know I would just struggle with what to say and I even asked my husband he knew I was doing this exercise and he would he would give me some things and then um, and then I kind of would just just kind of started building on it here and there um so yeah it when it when it came and flowed i felt good about it
0: i love that yeah it uh you I'm, I'm curious, it doesn't matter what the answer is, but I'm just curious um, why you, you, you stuck to really the flavors of your personality and uh, you didn't write out your experiences in your life. Any idea why you chose to do it that way?
1: Well, um, I think it was because, you know, when I think back, especially – about my 35-year career, which I spent a lot of time in, in really being, achieving and accomplishing, and, you know, all that was so important to me, and um, it just doesn't seem important anymore at all, really. And I wrote these both, I wrote both my eulogies before I heard anybody else's eulogy, so I didn't even, it didn't even, uh, it never even crossed my mind to do it You know, with the detail of, you know, which after hearing that, I thought, well, that is nice. I, you know, if that if I wanted to spend more time on it, I I would definitely go back and add all that Uh, because I think it's nice. And I do think it's good that to do that. Then other people don't have to search for the information or whatever. But really, as far as when I would thought about my career and, and what I did for so long, it just didn't seem that important. Right and the And the flavors were still there because I did some of the same things at work in terms of always being support in a supporting role, working in the background, and things like that in my job
2: Mhm-
0: yeah, it's you know um. Lawrence, I'd love to ask you, bring you into this conversation and ask you a couple questions, if you wouldn't mind. Um, I just unmuted you there. Um, so you went on a journey, Lawrence, and you went back through your life, and we learned so much about you that we didn't know and about your life experience. And of was there any benefit to you in – reviewing things of your the the sequential highlights and lowlights of your life there was there some value to you in doing that
2: um yeah i it's
3: you know, I, I had to look at at my life objectively, and
2: uh, I saw
3: from the first couple of drafts that I did, I, I was um, focusing on what. I didn't like about my life what, what I felt was wrong. Uh, the, the, all of the, the, the negative aspects I was. So, so when I tried to, uh, look at it
2: without judgement,
3: I was able to, to see and to, to remember, to realize that, uh, it really wasn't all bad. The way that I have a tendency to, I've had a tendency to, to just like think, well, the whole thing has just been really a nightmare, but it's just been, it's just been awful. And I realized in in, in making myself the objective about it that really a lot of it was very uh was there's a lot of joy. There was a lot of uh there there was in fact more joy than there was pain. But I was just, I tend to focus on the pain. That's what it had been sticking in my mind. So when I, when I first wrote it, the, I was going into all of the, uh, into, into a lot of, uh, Really dark stuff that uh, that I eventually just edited out. I just uh, I, I didn't think that it was necessary to uh, to look at that to to keep to keep looking at that because it was obscuring it was obscuring the uh, the light.
2: It was, and, and
3: there was, I was allowing it, I realized that I had have been allowing it to, uh, that I'd been allowing myself to continue on in this pattern that had been established, that I had established long ago. Just expecting, expecting the worst and uh, preparing, preparing for the worst at all times. And it, that's what I had done with so much of my life. And I'd really forgotten about the good parts,
2: the, the good that's at the, that's at the base of it.
0: So I really appreciate your sharing that with us, Lawrence. What I hear, too, in that is, well, actually, one question I have is, since writing it, are you feeling differently about your life now?
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
3: I, I, um, I feel like I've uh, released a lot of, like I've released a lot of that, uh, a lot of my past, a lot of the past pain. Which no longer serves me.
2: I've, uh,
3: yeah, I feel like it's, uh, I feel much lighter, which, uh, I don't feel burdened, as burdened by it, and, um, I, I see that, uh, that I can, I don't know, somehow I, I, I feel released, released from it. I I can see that, that that I, I can have a future that does not have to be Like my past.
0: That is huge. Powerful. Are you noticing that this awareness, Lawrence, is uh, producing uh, different choices? and different experiences in the last few weeks, months?
3: Um, the, last, the last few weeks have been very challenging for me. It's, uh, I've been really, it's been kind of, uh, you know, as, as I've, as I, as I'm feeling this, um this sense of, of relief, at the same time that, uh, um, my, I'm running into a lot of resistance, a lot of, a lot of ego resistance, in equal, it's like the, the better I feel, the harder my ego pushes to, uh, pushes against that. So I, it's like, really, I've got to be really, uh, careful not to, uh, um, it just, it, it, it's, it requires a lot of attention to, To what I've come to realise to I'm coming to a place of equanimity. Where uh, the, the, the two the polarities have been so extreme. It's been a really, it's been like a battle. And I feel like finally it's starting to,
2: there's the, the, the pieces is, is
3: blossoming outward, and it's it's uh, dissolving the blocks. There's I don't know. There, there's some there's some there there's i have felt this state of grace before, and i've uh very very gradually lost it over over time and uh i, I it's it's i'm getting it back i am getting a hold of it again and uh it's it's i'm allowing it to it's permeating my life right? I'm thinking, right? I feel like the, the battle is, the, the real battle is over. And I feel like the war is over and the, if the war is over. There's still a few, leftover little skirmishes
2: uh, I think I can handle
3: it I know
2: I can handle it with
3: the whole whole spirit and the company of heaven I feel more and more I feel the angels around me always now Hmm. even when things are really when things seem really difficult uh, I know that uh,
2: that I'm not lost So, yeah, it's helped.
0: Well, certainly doing a review as beautifully and thoroughly as you did, there's uh, the extraordinary opportunity to really review the decisions that we've made. About our lives and ourselves, the interpretations, and to see are we able to relinquish them? Do we want to keep them? And inevitably, it leads us to a lot of self forgiveness. We must forgive the meaning we made, we must forgive the interpretations. And then, doing that work, there's a lot of freedom, a lot of freedom, that grace. The war is over because the it, the war is that internal uh, conflict.
3: I left a lot out of. Uh, of course. I left huge, huge parts of my life that that I had considered to be because I I, I actually saw them as being. Things that, that, that I didn't need to have. I didn't need to keep them in my awareness anymore. It was, I was done with them. Uh, I, it's years and years of, of, of su- substance abuse and, uh, various addictions and, uh, these these patterns that uh, that I had to go through for for whatever reason that I that I don't need anymore and I don't need to keep I don't need to keep thinking about them and uh, so I was able to just leave them out of the out of the story and I realized that it was. A much, it was a much nicer story without, without this stuff that, uh, you know, it happened, but it's not, it's not, it's, there's, there's no point in, there's nothing to be gained from dwelling on it.
0: Right. Venerable often talks about focusing on the joy markers.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So here's another question for you, Lawrence. Would you recommend to others that they do this? Go through their life and, and uh, write a carefully uh, delineated eulogy
2: Yes yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's very, very useful.
0: Now uh, uh, anything else you want to add, Lawrence? Because uh, it's not going to be true for everybody. Some people are, will absolutely say, that's, that's not for me. Um, so, Lana, just going back to you and what you shared, uh, you, you may or may not wish to go back and rewrite yours. Uh, It may or may not feel as though it's supportive to you. And and it really only matters to you. But I heard you say some things that made me think that um, Lawrence would have some words of wisdom for us based on his experience. But, you know, it's, it's very subjective. It's what works for each individual.
1: I think, I, think I, I will explore doing that going back, and I have in my mind, even as, as I've heard other people share theirs, thing thoughts have 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 come to mind, and even this morning already, something, a memory came to my mind um, that I I know somehow has an importance. I don't know if it's a joy marker because I don't know exactly what the definition of that would be. Uh, but it's definitely something that tr- that was a driving factor in my life. So I, I would definitely be open to doing that.
0: I'm, I'm going to give everybody this suggestion, too. So I'm, I'm not assigning it to the group or anything like that. It's just a suggestion. And I once had a counseling client that was uh, going through a diff- difficult, dark time and i tuned in they were asking for help and i got this whole download for them of things to do that i'd never gotten from anywhere before never gotten for anyone else before and the things to do were this what i got was that the the person had identified themselves as being, let's say, left out, left out of happiness, left out of joy, left out of freedom, left out of family, left out of creativity and uh, all all the the good things. They were like standing on the outside in a tattered coat with dirt on their face. I, I had this kind of image of them as being this, um, bad person, uh, this bum. And um, what came to me was uh, that literally this is what it, how it came. It was like, here's the healing prescription. It was like their higher self was prescribing things to do. And so the prescription was this person was like an artist priest and that uh, the thing would be to go to uh, really nice stores that had beautiful handmade things to look at them, to touch them, to see what these great craftspeople and artisans we're making really beautiful, high-quality things. To go to museums and look at the beautiful, beautiful things that have been made by hand. Uh, you, you know, everything from textiles to uh, pottery, metalworking, all kinds of things. Just like practical things, even for the home, decorative things, vases and silverware, just, but all handcrafted art, art, artisan things. And then also to acquire for themselves because they were kind of living in a, like, um, you know, in a, a kind of a one room situation eating over the sink with a fork out of a can of tuna, you know, really their life was kind of like that in that moment. And, and the prescription included getting a nice table setting. And, uh, you know, you don't, if you're really solitary, you just need one plate, one fork, one knife, but a really nice table setting and to just start there with, cause you're eating several times a day and make it, an artistic experience, a beautiful experience. This beauty can be so healing. And then to get a book, uh, a big book, of blank pages like artists use to draw, and you know, but a big one, uh, and uh, to have colored pens and crayons and all those kinds of things that you could draw with. And to write their story like a fairy tale, once upon a time, and to start it that way, once upon a time there was a little boy who nobody loved, who always felt left out. And to just start writing it like a their the life, like it was a fairy tale. And to, because they were an artist, and to draw pictures and maybe put in uh, cut out things and put them in there and, and use different kinds of pens and, and pastels and, and things like that. Maybe take photographs or whatever and make it like a collage fairy tale book of their life. And to tell their story up until this moment and then to say, you know, that something magical happened. And from that day forward, and then to write the future eulogy in a sense like the future fairy tale. And this happened and that happened. And to, you know, see all how all the different colors are changing as they go through the different parts of the fairy tale and into the future and to write their future story. And it all just came in an instantaneous download. And uh, sometimes I think it would be so wonderful for people to do that, but some people who um, don't feel like they can write or they don't feel like they can draw, things like that, they'll then uh, feel intimidated and scared, and then they are failing. They didn't do the assignment. So I've never, I've never brought it up in class really before. But I've always thought that that would be just uh, – a wonderful thing for people to do as a healing exercise. So, um, if anybody feels called to do it, there it is. Uh, and I'm sure there are many, many different ways that one could approach it. So, if it appeals to you, go for it. Let us know how you do. But we can look at our life that way. Remember, it's all an illusion, right? It's all, in a sense, it's a story. It's a fairy tale. And so even if you don't feel like getting a book and doing all those different things, you could just start thinking about your life like a fairy tale like that. Once upon a time. And maybe you just want to write it. You don't want to do all the decorative parts of it, the scrapbooking kind of parts of it. I I think there's great healing in that because what we start to see is the story that we made is not actually the truth of our being and it's not actually real. Um, Maybe someday I'll be able to uh, offer a class for the starving artist syndrome to heal the starving artist syndrome and we could all make these fairy tale books anybody like to share anybody have a thought comment question anything Anybody want to say anything to Lana about her eulogy? Rand?
4: Ah, oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to have Lana on my team. <laughs> I remember that from her eulogy. I'll have you on my team anytime. Thank you.
0: Exactly. feel the same way.
5: Thanks, Rand. Diane, uh, Lana. I just wanted to thank you for um, for your eulogy, and I I felt when you were reading it, it was just such a um, a kind of pristine view of yourself. I I really loved all the detail, and I felt that um, it it. it it was so insightful, like self-insightful of who you are. I was just really impressed with uh, the detail you went through to to um, to do your eulogy. I just loved it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, Thank I felt you. that too. That is such such a um, demonstration of the shifts and changes that you've made, particularly in the last year, year and a half. You would not have written that two years ago. And so I can really see why you would say that it's that before you retired, your work was so important to you. That's part of your identity, right? And we, we gather our identity often from either where we're super successful or we have any success at all or where we fail. Right? It's, it's the, the, the false identity comes from those kinds of things. So what I hear in your eulogy too is that you're now really identified so much more with your true self and that's what's important. So you you said again that you read it to your husband?
1: No, he, he said he would like he would uh liked for me to read it to him, but then he never asked again.
0: Well, maybe he's waiting for you to just do it.
1: Possibly.
0: And
1: why does he have to ask again? Good question. I wasn't sure, like, especially my future one, that that he would really understand it. So I haven't really felt, um, I wasn't feeling, you know, motivated to read it to him. Because I kind of thought he might, you know, there's nothing mentioned about him in it or Different things, you know, I mean, I I thought he might not understand that either. So if he asked to read it, I would read it to him. But I don't know that I would just on my own share it with him. Not at this time anyway.
0: And why is that?
1: Just for fear that he might not understand.
0: And why would that cause fear?
1: Then if, usually I get myself in trouble if I'm trying to explain things to him. He just doesn't understand. I mean, even he's still pretty grounded in this world. And, you know, he I mean, we have talked about things in the past, like if something happened to me or something happened to him, you know, that uh I would want him to get married again and things like that. But he doesn't share that same kind of feeling, you know. Um, he's still very grounded in this world, so I just didn't think he would understand. Maybe he would, he just, I just didn't, was afraid he might not understand. And if I explain things, then I get myself in trouble and just make it worse, and it feels like. Mm hmm
0: Would there be a way to and would there be any value in Lana rewriting them in a way that he could understand? And still keeping the essence of what you like about what you wrote? Yes. I I do think so. Mm -hmm. In order to, to share it with him, he asked Mm -hmm. because the reason i bring it up is um especially having just gone through this forgiveness retreat and being in the spiritual counseling training intensive right now um what we're talking a lot about is how people have uh been making the meaning feeling sad that there's a distance between them and their loved ones and yet they're starting to see how they reinforce that distance and actually contribute to it and keep them at arm's length. It's very common for spiritual students to do that with family members, even with friends and spouses. Uh, And so rather than help them to uh, help their loved ones to understand, they make this decision that they can't understand, they won't understand. And so they keep them uh, at arm's length while at the same time yearning for a more intimate connection.
1: Yeah, that's a great summary of my situation.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's in my experience the majority of people have a lot of blocks to intimacy (coughs) because they don't want to really be seen because they don't feel great about themselves or because they fear judgment or attack. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that we've been talking about in the last couple of days is taking responsibility for having uh, contribute, contributed to that distance, writing self-forgiveness letters for blaming the other person for not being able to participate fully or connect when really we won't let them doing self-forgiveness work around that. So you may just see if any of that, you know, has
1: resonance for you. It has strong resonance. So I thank you for appreciate you saying that because I do desire more inti- intimacy, but then, yeah, I can see where I'm pushing it away as, as well.
0: Yeah. So what what is scary about intimacy? And anyone can answer this question too. It'd be good for everyone to answer. What is scary about intimacy?
6: I can share this is Angela on the phone. Hey Angela. Hi. Um, what I have noticed is that in the past, I was not so masterful at um, initiating intimacy or asking for it or um, approaching it because I approached it with uh, fear of rejection or um, I approached it with expectation of being understood and received and supported in my asking. And so I noticed that I remember getting the image in the past of like, I'm standing on stage professing my heart and you're the one person audience who's not even clapping for me. And you're just looking at me, like I don't make sense or (laughs) so I have felt in the past, not well received. So then I feel, um I have felt, uh, yeah, rejected. And so what I'm seeing is possible is um, just to, to be able to approach it without neediness has felt like a growth period for me. To be able to come from um, a place where I've given myself so much self-love that it's really an extension of me, rather, intimacy is. It's like an extension of that rather than it's a need. So I have been kind of just letting myself um, grow into the self-loving aspect so that I'm full, and then I can extend it and create it. Um, and there are still moments of vulnerability, and I'm, like, working on those, but that's been my experience is that it's been uh, a learning of how to go about it.
0: Powerful. That's beautiful. Rand, did you, you want to share?
4: Oh. I guess the topic was uh, fear of intimacy, right? Yes. And I find in my current relationship, when I share, it usually comes back to bite me. And so I'm in that mode of not really wanting to share because there's you know retribution there so I just uh haven't found a way to to feel comfortable sharing knowing that there's this something on the other end that doesn't really feel good not to say that I'm perfect on receiving the other gifts on the other end but yeah
0: well Rand here's here's so Angela was just telling us that her neediness played a role in her experience. Can you say uh say more about that Angela in terms of how you see it now?
6: Um now for me intimacy is when I share myself authentically. Um for how I'm feeling. I come from a place of I'm responsible for how I'm feeling. Um, There's no, and I'm not initiating intimacy to get validation or so. um, Yeah. So it's really that I I approach it with I need from the other person. It's an opportunity for me to share more about me.
0: And it sounded like you were saying that in the past, you had needs that you were trying to get met.
6: Yes. So I would come to my husband, for example, with um, wanting to feel more secure in our marriage. So then um, I might come to him with my fears about what's happening in our marriage, which doesn't feel good to me. And he wouldn't know what to say about that. And I would be approaching him unknowingly, maybe looking for him to acknowledge my feelings and maybe even um, discuss my observations. Um, But really, I was coming to him with fear and looking for him to make me feel better. And he wouldn't know how. And now I feel like intimacy is, like I said, it's different. It's coming to him um, kind of not always excited to share, but it's just that I want to. I want, I feel courageous for him to see me more.
0: Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with going to your husband and having neediness and fear that you'd like help with. But yeah, I
6: just, yeah, I just saw. <laughs> sorry,
0: no, just and, and it, there's nothing wrong with that at all, and he may not be able to help you, and then we have to accept that.
6: Yes, and I think that's it. It's coming to say I'd just like to share my fear with you um, and being clear in my mind that there's nothing I'm. Ex- Expecting you to do with it. Again, I just wanted you to see me. I want you to know how I'm feeling. But I was coming with the thing like, well, doesn't that make you want to hug me? Doesn't that make you want to console me? Why don't you talk about how you feel? And you, you know, and it just like. <laughs> Because you didn't have the same need to do that in the moment. So I would feel one-sided and I would feel alone and abandoned.
0: Yeah, that's how I felt in my relationship with my mom. My mom was a five on the Enneagram. And so uh, not that that necessarily had to do with it, but um, she just, she couldn't, really talk about her feelings except in the most surface way, you know, I feel upset with no, what's upsetting you? Oh, please. I don't want to talk about it. And it was really, I thought, well, she didn't want to talk about it with me because she didn't trust me. She didn't want to be intimate with me. And I felt so disappointed that I couldn't go to my mom for help with my stuff. It's like when I was littler, I'd go to her and say, can you braid my hair for me? And she'd braid my hair, and then I'd be like, oh, that's totally unacceptable. And she'd be like, I'm sorry, I couldn't do it better. And i just think, ugh. So I would then be resentful and feel like, certainly with the emotional stuff that she was withholding from me. It took me so long to realize she wasn't withholding at all. She just didn't know, did not know how to talk about her feelings. And her inability to talk about her feelings made her even more feel like this is not a good place for me, not a safe space for me to talk about my feelings. Be like sending uh, somebody who uh, barely knows how to make toast into a room full of gourmet cooks who are in competition and saying, all right, make a souffle. They're like, ah, I can't make a souffle, I can make toast. going to the hardware store for milk or frozen yogurt. We don't have any there. So, so Angela, what I'm hearing you say now is you can go to Crispin and you can share how you're feeling without making him responsible. And while there might be things you'd like from him, you don't feel the same needing, wanting, craving that you used to, maybe sometimes.
6: Yeah, I just, I it's like I made it into a game and, and maybe this is some of what you're saying at the retreat, which is coming up because I think this was me healing, you know, part of, more part of the special relationship kind of behavior. So I get to this almost self-sustainable place and now there's more growth because now I can, because I've learned how to give myself what I need and ask spirit and really, literally, I will hug a, a pillow if I want to hug and my husband doesn't want to hug. And um, I've literally asked him to like lay down with me and he didn't want to. So I laid down with myself and like a stuffed animal and I was like, okay, I'm not deprived. Um, but now I think there's the stepping off point of like, now how can I, because I feel full, how can I bring more love into our, in affection, into our relationship? Because instead of moving in a direction of isolation or self sufficiency, you know. But it felt necessary as part of my growing to get to that point. Mm. Yeah, But now I hear spirits say things like, hold his hand. It's not coming from, why doesn't he hold my hand? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's more of a playful game now. Like, you know, like do that. And sometimes I'm like, I don't want to. But sometimes I'm like, okay. So that's opened up this little like playful, inspired um, initiation.
0: Mm. Rand, do you see any insights or reflections related to you and and Christy there?
4: There we go. <sighs> It's kind of hard to untangle at this point right now. And she would say, oh, you're needing and I don't feel needing. I, I, I can find. She projects onto me all kinds of things, all sort of meanings. And it's just very difficult to have a conversation with somebody like that at this point. There's just too much baggage. She, you know, she's really project all kinds of thoughts onto me. And, uh, so we're at loggerheads on that. Sorry. I really don't really do it. Yep.
0: Yeah, and that's what happens in our relationships is projection after projection after projection.
4: Yeah. I'm, I'm working on not projecting on her and I'm sure I am, but, uh, I'm just trying to stay in that neutral ground. Um, keep wishing her well as I know she's wishing me well. And, um, Finding that space where uh, there's some contentment. Mm-hmm. Let me myself out, get rid of this phone call. Hmm.
0: Anybody else like to share in this topic of fear of intimacy and how it shows up in our relationships, how we block intimacy and how we're accepting it, allowing it, experiencing it? <coughs> it's a good topic also as we're coming towards the holiday season. Share. No,
1: okay, that's Lawrence that's Lawrence also wants to share. No.
0: You can go first.
1: Well, I did a divine experiment with my husband and this this came up where you know, I know David Hoffmeister's community had there's two rules, there's no private thoughts and there's no um, people pleasing. Well, for for three weeks I was stewing over this these text messages that I had seen from my husband to this other woman who was used to been a work, used to be a work colleague and he was going to take a trip to California and he was going to meet up with her. And I saw all this and I saw then he would delete these text messages and I was thinking he was hiding and all this kind of, so for, so I did a divine experiment on it and for weeks I was holding all this stuff in. I realized I had all these private thoughts about it. Finally, it just came out and it was messy, you know. I mean, I was crying and it just all came out, but then it resolved. Everything resolved. And I realized that for three weeks, I had been have, holding all these private thoughts, keeping, you know, keeping things to myself that were bothering me. And I think when I actually shared, it probably gave him the message that I even cared, you know, that I cared about our relationship, mm. what was, happening and um it seemed like his and he didn't react at all like i thought because you know during those three weeks i thought about and i would ask spirit i said you know give me the words to be able to to talk to him you know if i'm to if i'm to bring this up you know what what should i say and it was all it was i mean it took almost the whole 21 days for this experiment for it it to come up. And then I also had the intention of leveraging the lesson learned, which is then when I realized that, that when I actually expressed myself, how it just stopped that chain of creating form, you know, because the thoughts are still creating form and just all that, all the energy and everything that I had been manifesting and creating through these private thoughts. So that's, uh, I mean, I think the fear of intimacy, having the private thoughts is what I I could really see was hurting, Mm. you know, was not not a helpful thing at all.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: It's the mind. We make such uh, amazing meanings of it, and for me, it's so helpful to always realize this is happening, so it can come up for healing. And so, has that made any difference in your relationship, Lana, since then?
1: Well, I have, um, you know, because part of my fear was that he would get mad. I was, I was checking his phone, you know, but since all that happened, I haven't felt the need to check his phone anymore,
2: Mm.
1: because I didn't feel good about doing that either, Mm -hmm. you know. And it was quite by accident, actually, how it even happened. Um, It was kind of innocent how I even came across these text messages. It was kind of innocent, but then I would go looking for it afterwards. And so that was a part of I, w- I was afraid he would get mad about and I think and um so since then I, I have I have that uh feeling of not trusting him that has gone away.
0: That's wonderful. Came up for healing and it got healed. Mm-hmm.
1: And my uh you know, I do have a commitment to really watching my thoughts and making sure I don't keep them private, although that's a new territory for me and it's you know, I'm intending and inspiring aspiring to um, be able to know how to handle that, you know, more masterful. I feel I feel like I'm just in daycare right now with that. <laughs> So say a little bit more about that, Lana. I think I have been so used to keeping my thoughts private and being such a private person. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't, I I feel like especially sharing with my husband, um, I think he is in kindergarten too when it comes to like communicating in relationships. And I have even asked him, you know, let's attend some retreats together as couples and things like that. But he's, he's not, um, it's not ever been something he's wanted to do. So we both have a lot to learn in this area and, um, Yeah, maybe we're both still coming from a lot of neediness, like what Angela was sharing.
0: You know, so Lana, something that could be helpful, maybe, to you in, in uh, having more of the intimacy that you would like. And this can work for people like myself, uh, those who are not in relationship. So, uh, certainly we we can always work with the deep desire of the heart about our relationships. And I highly recommend that. Even if we're not in relationships, still the deep desire of my heart, if you'd like to have a partnership, would be to be in a partnership that's loving and what, whatever else that you would like. And uh, if you... Some people know, I, I don't want that. I've had that. I don't want that. Now I, I enjoy being single. So, of course, you can still do the deep desire of my heart is to have uh, completely loving relationships. And that, cause e- even if we're single, a lot of times we still would like to have healthy, intimate relationships with our friends and family. And uh, I rarely meet anyone who doesn't have some relationships that couldn't be uh, improved. So all all of this can help us learn about all of our relationships. But when I do couples counseling, some of the things that come up are to recommend that together they craft a mission or purpose statement for their relationship and that they write out what they, what the goals are in the relationship, what their intention is in the relationship, and what is the growth that they would like to experience over the next year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. I have yet to have any couple come to me for counseling that they've done any of those things. And one of the things that when couples come to me for counseling, it's often because one person uh is driving the decision to do some work and the other one is going along because the relationship is either threatened or they want to make that person happy or they feel like if they don't do it, Uh, they're a bad person it could be any number of things that are going on and um, sometimes I'll say just well what are your goals in the relationship or I'll say well what are the uh, what are the lines you don't cross what are the rules and uh, have you written them down have you ever discussed them and nobody's ever written them down they're rarely discussed it's occasion occasionally some people will have a little bit of things but it's interesting how people wouldn't live their career that way some do but a lot of people don't they have clear intention they have clear goals they know where they'd like to be a year two years three years five years from now but in their primary relationship which in a sense is the focus of their life for a lot of people these Things have not been discussed or thought about or considered. And so it's like um, shooting off a rocket with no planned trajectory. We're just going. We're just going. But you can have a planned trajectory for uh, the quality of life you'd like to live. And so that can be a way to have that conversation with your husband there, Lana, where you can say, um, let's talk about our relationship in terms of having some goals in our relationship. Now that I'm retired, our relationship is even more of a focus in my life, and I'd like us to have some shared goals in our relationship. And you can just start with so, what's most important with you? You know, you don't have to, nobody has to start with, you know, so what is it you don't like about what, a, how I, you know, no, don't start with that. Because even if you just only put your focus on the goals, A lot of times the stuff we don't like will fall away. Do you think your husband would be on board with having a conversation like that, Lana?
1: Yes, I do. I think he would be. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so you can start to uh, invite him more into that conversation gently so it's not threatening. Mm-hmm. A lot of people avoid conversations where they feel like they can't win, they can't succeed, and particularly men do. Mm-hmm. So if you, you can broach the conversation Where no matter what he says, he can be a winner. He can feel successful. If you give him lots of like, oh, I'm so glad you said that. Well, I'm, oh, thank you for telling me that. Lots of encouraging sounds and smiling and touching him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we can do this with friends. Because a lot of times our friend relationships are challenging. And uh, very common for people when the friendships become challenging, people just say, I got to get out of this. And too many times I've seen people who are very close friends for decades, they go through a difficult time it becomes the end of their friendship. Because if we don't agree, we can't be friends. But it's a powerful friendship. It's a powerful relationship when we don't agree and we can still be friends. That's a powerful thing. Because it's meaning I, I can love you and be in an intimate, loving relationship with you even though you don't validate my perspective. That is spiritual maturity. And Rand, what I, what we've heard from you that you've told us is um, it just feels like Christy is totally emotionally overwhelmed. And she, she just can't handle it. She's way too triggered. And, and I, I think that there, most people in your situation, Rand, would just have to grieve. because we can't negotiate something with someone who can't negotiate. We have to accept what is. But I do feel that something that will be more far more enjoyable for you Rand is right right coming right up alongside. So I encourage you to work with that deep desire of the heart and call it into being. You know, sometimes one of the scariest things in the world has been for me is when I felt that I really wanted a relationship and I didn't have one and I felt insecure about it. That if people would ask me, do you want a relationship? I'd say, no, no, I'm happy just the way I am. And I'd be defensive about it. And so then I would be consciously blocking the very thing I wanted. I used to do that. We can be so protective. And I've seen so many people who were dating and dating and dating and dating, but they were sending everybody these signals that they didn't feel the relationship wasn't safe to them. It didn't feel lovable. That's why other people are our salvation. They help us see what we really think and what we really believe. Hmm. So we're we're about at time here. Lawrence, but we still got plenty of time. Uh Lawrence, did you want to share something a while back?
3: Hmm? I actually forgot <clears throat> what I was gonna say. I wasn't uh I didn't have a really formed thing to so say
0: anyway. not know. All right. So um with the holidays coming, I'm just gonna ask people. Do you have any new goals for your holidays? And you could think about this and we can talk about it next week. Any new goals for your holidays? For the rest of this year, because it's coming up so fast.
6: Angela, so did, I, yeah. yeah, I was just going to share that mine are particularly interesting these holidays coming up um, since I'm due around Thanksgiving that my goals are really just to honor the needs of um, myself and our family, like my husband and the baby, and not to feel pressured to go anywhere or have people here and just to really be present to what feels the most um appropriate and, and um, helpful to us. So I've already had people at the baby shower ask, when are you bringing the baby? It's like, wow. Okay. So, you know, um, just being slow and uh, just getting used to it. So that's my whole goal, <laughs> just adjusting. mm.
0: That sounds very healthy. Very, very healthy. And the Carruthers—they're going to be with their one of their daughters, I think, right?
6: Yes, and I think they—literally, I think they're going to be in New York instead of New Hampshire in case Karen needs to come to be at my birth. <laughs> So that she'd be closer. Um,
0: yeah. Well. All right. Any final thoughts before we close out?
5: Diane. Well, I just wanted to say that um, our Thanksgiving was just this past weekend. Right. So we did have that the, The whole, I was in Toronto with my family, the the whole Thanksgiving uh, stuff. And I just wanted to stress how, for me, how important it is to prepare for the holidays. Um, Because I had so much anxiety coming up around this trip. Um, I was there for 11 days um, with my son, my daughter-in-law, and a three-year-old in a small apartment. And um, we did, we left for a while, went to cabin, but we did quite, all of us quite well together. But I can't stress enough for myself the importance of preparation because um, my intention was to have a peaceful, harmonious time. Um, And I would say most of the time it was. Um, And I did Lots of forgiveness letters before I went because just the thought of going brought a lot of triggers up. I had a couple of wonderful, um, counseling sessions with Angela, which really helped me, um, release, uh, a lot of my judgments. And, um, yeah, so I, I really felt that the prep that I did beforehand really helped me a lot. Um, to, to really have that experience of um, sitting around Thanksgiving table and people saying things that would trigger me. And, um, and, I, and I was aware, oh, this would have triggered me in the past, and I'm not really getting triggered here. I saw it very clearly as a trigger, and I could make a decision whether to let this upset me or whether to let it go and have the harmony of, of the, the time that we had together. So, um, it was really wonderful and we will spend Christmas together. So I'm, I'm all into, to preparing, uh, with, with this group because I know you've got your Thanksgiving coming up in November and then Christmas quite soon after. So, um, yeah, I'm all in with, with everybody (laughs) to do more preparation for family holidays
0: it's such a gift that we can offer to ourselves and to our loved ones i just i cannot emphasize enough how much i used to take into the situation my projections and my expectations of disappointment really really caused a lot of pain for myself so and my family and Uh, I so appreciate you sharing that Diane and, and, uh, and the courage that it takes to really say I can be that fulcrum point of healing in my family. I can work on these things. I can have a different experience and I'd like to. Yeah. I've spent many a holiday by myself in meditation I've spent birthdays by myself and Christmas by myself, Thanksgiving by myself a number of times. And, uh, and I've also had horrible, horrible holidays and wonderful, wonderful holidays. So I think being very intentional is helpful to all of us. And see, and starting to energize it now early It's really helpful. Well, let's take that into our prayer. (laughs) So grateful and thankful that we can change our minds and change our lives and change the patterns. So grateful to give the Holy Spirit the heavy lifting. So grateful that we have in our script a life of extraordinary love, freedom, compassion, willingness. So we are partnering up in order to experience the highest possibilities of love in our script. We are grateful and thankful to let the past go. Grateful and thankful to allow ourselves to experience great healing and transformation in gratitude. We share the benefits with everyone in gratitude. We let the healing be, we know it's done and so it is. Amen. 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 Much love. See you next week. Mwah! Bye for now.